0: This episode of Inquisitive is brought to you by Cards Against Humanity and Lynda.com.
1: My name is James Thompson. I have chosen an album for The Orb's Adventures Beyond the Ultra World.
0: Okay, so I've never heard of, before you telling me this, I don't think I'd ever heard of the band or this album.
1: Yeah, I was quite disappointed to hear that, really. Um, But I I guess it is pretty obscure. Yeah, I mean, I think we can all agree without any argument whatsoever that the single greatest decade for music was the 1980s, uh, which is, of course, why I've chosen this album from
0: 1991. (laughs) when music got bad.
1: (laughs) Well, I think technically a good percentage of it is from the 80s because the 19-minute long last track was uh, first released as a single in 89. So it still counts as the 80s.
0: What style of music is this?
1: Well, I think the best description is that this is a two-hour-long experimental electronic music concept album full of random bits of dialogue and sound effects taken from the BBC. Um And I'm entirely unrepentant in
0: choosing it. So how did you get to this type of music? This is... It's very specific. <laughs> well...
1: Okay, first some background. I mean, my musical tastes in the mid-80s were pretty limited to whatever was in the charts or that I heard on the radio. I wasn't exactly a sophisticated listener, but I was 12. And I thought ZZ Top were the height of cool. And the first single I bought for myself was the Ghostbusters theme. Excellent. Uh, uh My dad and my uncle both had a pretty extensive record collection, though. So I had listened to more experimental things like Pink Floyd, Jean-Michel Jarre, Frank Zappa, that sort of thing. And they had made a mark. Um, but yeah, before I start to desperately paint myself as a cool electronic music hipster from a young age, um, I should say that at the time, I was really solely into heavy metal in its many forms. And I owned a thunderbolt-shaped, zebra-striped electric guitar. And that guitar hangs in my parents' attic to this day, much like the musical equivalent of a portrait that keeps me young forever. Um, so I started to gradually explore a wider range of music, uh getting LPs out of the local library and swapping mixtapes with friends. And around then I was also playing with making electronic music myself with some sequencing software on a Commodore 64. I like that I could create a semblance of a tune without needing to spend all the tedious time actually learning how to play an instrument properly. Uh, an ethos I maintain to this day. But the the sort of uh, defining moment was uh, in late eighty nine, between school and university, I got a job working in the newly opened Tower Records in Glasgow. This meant two things: one that I actually had some money to spend on things, and Two, I had access to the biggest record collection of anyone I knew. Um, I mean, the kids these days with their Spotify's and their Apple Music's, they won't understand. But back then, if you wanted to listen to something in particular, you needed to have a physical copy of it or wait until they played it on the radio, assuming it made into the top 40 or something like that. So staff in Tower were unofficially encouraged to borrow anything they liked off the shelves. So long as they rewound any tapes and ran them back through the shrink wrap machine again. Um, so this was a pretty unprecedented opportunity at the time to listen to anything at all. I wanted to, and I had four floors of experts of every genre to talk to and get recommendations from. And the more I think about it, this pretty much was Apple music, but except they paid me, um, So I had spent my first wages that I got on a second-hand Roland Juno 106 synthesizer and an Atari SDE computer, which was notable for having built-in MIDI ports for connecting to synthesizers and excellent sequencer software in the form of Cubase. Um, I got the Juno cheap because somebody had left a lit cigarette lying between two keys with rather obvious results. Um, so I wouldn't claim a great deal of actual talent in electronic music, much like my guitar playing, but I certainly had some enthusiasm. It was at that time that I started, you know, exploring the shelves and listening to things, and I finally came across um, uh, this sort of thing, and I, and I was listening around, and I had a recommendation for the Orb, and so this was the first album that I listened to by then.
0: So what was your... When you first heard this, what was your original take on it do you remember did did you like it had you heard anything like it even though you've been like experiencing and experimenting with different types of electronic music
1: um i think like around that time there was there was like something of a, a very british revolution in electronic experimental electronic music going on so the early nineties brought things like the KLF um, to mainstream prominence in the UK. And I think with the orb, their second album actually made it to number one in the charts in the UK. And uh, there was a, a 40 minute long single that came from the second album uh, that they actually played on top of the pops, I believe. And that made it to number eight. So, you know, it it, it was, it was slightly more mainstream than it might appear. Um
0: I just want to j- double check something that you just said. They played a 40 minute song on top of the pops.
1: I don't know if they played the whole thing, but right. I think they played like 20 minutes of it or maybe they did the full 40. Basically
0: the whole episode. <laughs>
1: yeah. And I I haven't seen it, but I I gather that they basically just had the band members playing chess, like just sitting there playing chess while this played in the background. Yeah,
0: because if they were on like nothing's happening, right? Yeah. so
1: i should look that up on youtube actually i'm sure it exists as a recording um and yeah i mean I, i as to what i thought of it uh so my understanding is that the popularity of this music it was primarily down to people coming down from recreational narcotics shall we say in the popular music clubs yeah and looking for something a bit more relaxed to chill out to but that was entirely wasted on me, though, no pun intended. Uh, being a rather introspective 18-year-old who rarely left the warm glow of the monitor in his bedroom, um, except to go and sit in the warm glow of a different monitor in the computing department at the university. Um, so to me, it, it was, I didn't have any of that context for it. I mean, I knew about sort of Acid House and whether that's, the, the, being the sort of counterpart to it um but you know i wasn't listening to it properly as they say yeah to go back to the the, the Atari and the Juno a bit um after uh, i started at university i wanted to buy a macintosh uh, because uh, i needed to do all the sort of the, the homework basically on it uh, so I sold the Atari and the Geno and I gave up on my my electronic music uh, career and I invested the money in an original Macintosh classic and started writing software. And uh, one of the things about programming for me is that I need something on in the background to block out the noise of the real world so I can focus, but it can't be anything spoken word or music with prominent lyrics. Or the language centers of my brain just lock onto that, and I can't actually write any code. And I found out by trial and error that the this sort of uh, instrumental ambient electronic music was absolutely ideal for that.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people uh, have this kind of inclination um, for when they're writing and stuff. I know it's it's a thing that's come up a bunch during this season, uh, is that people tend to listen to this type of music when they're working on something, so they listen to something that doesn't distract them. Mm. I th- So I listen to this, okay? Yes. So uh, In preparation, as I do with all of the albums, I listen to this, and this is my first time. Uh, this was very distracting for me. Um, uh-huh. And I have to say, James, I am very sorry to say that this is the first album in the series that I listened to and just didn't like.
1: I kind of expected that's what you were gonna say, and that's
0: that's not why I picked it, but I thought you might not. Yeah, I really couldn't get on board with this album. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are a lot of really weird and interesting things that it does. Um like the the spoken word sampling is very, very peculiar. <laughs> Mm -hmm. because it seems to be, like, just totally random. Or maybe there's a story that I'm not getting in the songs, which I'm sure is more the case, but I find them to be, like, really weird and kind of distracting, and it's very trippy.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, I think there's notionally a sort of story to the whole thing, which, um, you know, you start on Earth and you get further and further away. I think it's the, the sort of loose theme to it. Uh, but I don't, I don't think there's a, a, a consistent story to it, but I never really listened to it like that. You know, I didn't, uh, I didn't pay a great deal of attention to it being a concept album about, you know, travel and space and time. And I can't say I looked for any deeper meaning to the music. I just liked it.
0: Okay, James, let me just take a quick break, but I still have a ton more that I want to talk to you about this album. But I want to take a moment to thank our first sponsor for this week's episode, and that is lynda.com, who house over 3,000 on-demand video courses that can help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. You can grab yourself a free 10-day trial by visiting lynda.com inquisitive. That's lynd acom inquisitive. lynda.com is for problem solvers, people that are curious and who want to make things happen. In their life, maybe you have a skill that you've always wanted to master. Some description, maybe you want to learn how to make iPhone apps, maybe you want to learn how to use Xcode, maybe you want to learn how to use Excel, PowerPoint, Word, Keynote, Pages, Photoshop, Aperture, Illustrator. The list goes on and on and on. You can go to lynda.com and feed your curious mind. You will get yourself unlimited access to training videos from top experts who are super passionate about teaching the things that they're going to teach you. You can stream these thousands of video courses on demand, and this will allow you to learn at your own schedule and at your own pace as well. And you can learn and watch these videos in any order you want by creating and saving playlists. You can just consume these little videos in their bite-sized chunks from start to finish, or you can mix them up, mix them around, mix them with different courses as well. And then you're able to share them with your friends, colleagues, and team members if you like. If you're the type of person that likes to get their learning in and in opportune moments in the day you can even watch and download courses to your android or ios device so you can learn on the go you can learn on the bus you can learn in the break room your lynda.com membership is going to give you unlimited access to fantastic training on hundreds of topics all for just one flat rate whether you're looking to become an industry expert you're passionate about a hobby or you just want to learn something new go ahead and visit lynda.com inquisitive and sign up for your free 10-day trial once again that's lynda.com inquisitive thank you You so much, lynda.com, for the continued support of this show. This album is is interesting to me because not because I don't like it, um, but because it is very different and kind of peculiar. And probably the majority of people listening to this have never heard of it. So that makes it really fascinating to me as the album that you've picked.
1: Well, to a certain extent, that's kind of why I picked it, because you know, I figured I saw what people were picking for previous, uh, shows and, you know, I, I could have picked something more, uh, mainstream, but I thought it was interesting and it's interesting because of what leads up to it and what leads away from it. And, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to say, well, you're clearly not listening to it properly. Um, but, <laughs> but you're
0: not listening to it properly.
1: <laughs> um, no, I think to a certain extent you had to be there, but I think, It might be, it it is considered the sort of, the seminal album in this sort of what they call ambient house. Uh, But, you know, I don't know if it is the best one or whatever. It was just, it was, you know, basically the the soundtrack to my university and early coding years.
0: So, um, I'm a little bit younger than you. A little bit, yeah. But... Being uh, having us grown up in the same country and experiencing some of the same kinds of things in that, uh, when I listen to this, it really does remind me of that time from when I was young uh, of this type of music, right? Mm. This, this was a style of music that was extremely popular in the UK before we started getting into Britpop. Uh, Britpop yeah. was kind of the uh, rebellion for this, type of music because there were people that liked guitars who couldn't stand to hear synthesizers anymore i think and and that was kind of what broke out from that but i definitely remember this type of music being played i remember this type of music on top of the pops so when i hear it i can instantly place what it is right mm-hmm. but i was too young uh at the time to be able to appreciate it so i think it's completely lost on me and it's probably why it's difficult for me or uh, you know probably difficult for many people to get on board of it because it is like you said you probably kind of had to be there
1: i knew nothing about the people who were involved in actually making this album uh you know i i just knew it was the orb and i liked them when i bought their music but i didn't give any thought to the actual people and Researching it now um, and, and looking through the history, I see there's there's a ton of overlap with other bands that I was listening to at the same time. So there's the KLF, uh, System 7, and people like that. Uh, they all work together on their various albums. And uh, I was going to uh, choose the... The Chill Out album. That was one of the other ones that was on my shortlist. Uh, but it turns out that the, the KLF, they, you may not remember this, but they, they, I think they got disenchanted with the fame because they became a really mainstream chart act. And I don't think that's what they really wanted to be. And so they took all the proceeds, all the remaining royalties from the KLF, and they took them to a small island off the west coast of Scotland. And it was about a million pounds in in notes. And they burnt the whole thing. Ah. So, and then they, they deleted their entire back catalogue, which is why you can't find it on Apple Music or buy it anymore. So, that was a sort of rather extreme reaction to the... the the problems they had. Uh, they actually had a, they, I think they filmed a documentary of it that showed on Channel 4. But the, there was an interview with the, with the guy and he said that as soon as they set fire to it, he just felt terrible. I think as
0: you would. Yeah. There's no, there's no scenario in which that feels good after you do it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But, you know, in the way, you know, the orb was
1: basically a sort of, uh, ambient house supergroup composed of lots of people. And uh, so like the, the main guy behind it is a guy called Alex Patterson. And he collaborated on it with Jimmy Coty of the KLF. And then there was miquette Garodi and Steve Hillage of System 7, which was another band I'd listened to. Um, there was a guy, Chris Weston, Thomas Fellman, there was uh, Martin Glover, who's otherwise known as Youth, who was bass player in Killing Joke. Um, and Trevor Horn, who was like part of the art of noise and did lots of production on Frankie Goes to Hollywood and that sort of thing. And there's even Guy Pratt, who's uh, worked a lot with Pink Floyd and people like that. So you can sort huh. of see all, all these things. And Steve Hillage had been around doing electronic music since, I think, the 70s.
0: So was this the only album that came from The Orb?
1: No, no. I mean, they're still going. Um, they've done. As this think. group still? Well, Alex Patterson, yes. Uh, he's in, he's p- been part of it since the beginning. And then I think all the people that worked with him was just a sort of revolving door of, of other musicians who came in.
0: Right. So Alex Patterson's kind of the mastermind then. Yes. Of, of this. Okay.
1: Yeah. And I'd say there's been like, I don't know, a dozen albums or something. There was one like, I think about a month ago which I haven't actually listened to yet, I have to say.
0: I keep getting uh, Intro to the Orb as a playlist now on Apple Music. (laughs) (laughs) Keeps popping up. Uh, This is one, like, hearing you talk about it now as well makes me more annoyed that I didn't like it because um, there, there there were parts of it, like, I want to qualify this properly, there were parts of it where I was like, this is cool, like, there are some good, like, hooks, and there are some catchy beats and stuff like that. And I think my favourite track on this was a track called Stars 6 and 789. Right, yeah. Because uh, I really like the loop on it. But it's still not devoid of craziness.
1: Yeah, I think the craziness is something that I like. Okay, um, so
0: explain this to me then. Like, first, can you, can you qualify, like, what I'm talking about when I say craziness?
1: Well, I mean, the, like, it should be said that the tracks, you know, range. I don't think there's, apart from the first track, I don't think there's anything under, like, 10 minutes.
0: Yeah, but having listened to stuff like Fish and Miles Davis recently, I'm used to long i'm used to long tracks that wasn't something that was a problem
1: yeah but the the, the tracks are are sort of a sort of a meandering soundscape and that, you'll have- yeah
0: that that's one of the things Like there was some tracks where i was like this is like i've been hearing the same thing looping for four minutes and then i look and it's like another 15 minutes of it and i'm like why is it so long uh- <laughs> I think because it's not songs, you know, no, it's, it's, it's not. not meant
1: to be like an album where you say, Oh, I particularly like this one track, which I'll listen to. I mean, the, the first track, Little Fluffy Clouds, is like the closest thing to a single, I think, on the whole thing. Um, and it, I think it was their most mainstream track of this. Uh, you know, it, it, it's basically a song from beginning to end. I mean, I, I say song, but you know, it's not yeah. like there's lyrics and and that, but uh but the rest of it is it's meant to be played from beginning to end as a sort of just two hour piece of music, I guess. Uh and it's if you go back to uh things like Pink Floyd and I mean how 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 do you stand on Pink Floyd?
0: I I'm okay with them. I'm not crazy about Pink Floyd. Again, and I think that this might be a thing because I wasn't there. Um, But I can, there are some Pink Floyd tracks I hear, I'm like, I really like this. And then there's others where I'm like, I don't really have much of an opinion on this. Mm. Because, I
1: mean, there's um, stuff that, you know, Brian Eno, did and and various people did in the in the late sixties seventies whatever really leads into this kind of stuff. Um, you know that there's lots of Pink Floyd samples in this, and you know there's a track called Backside of the Moon, which is clearly an obvious I got reference. I did get uh, that <laughs> very good. <laughs> um, but uh, so there's an album which I listened to yesterday, which I'm not going to recommend to you, but I shall recommend to the readers listeners. Um, it's an album called African Anthem by Mikey Dread, and it's a sort of dub album and, you know, sort of reggae electronic s- stuff, but it's from 1979. So, you know, w- way before this. And if you listen to it next to, uh, the, this album, you can see the direct, uh, uh, connections between them. Uh, so, I mean, I think it was probably the Alex Patterson and all that were probably on quite a few drugs and were listening to all these sort of trippy things from the sixties and seventies and were responding to that and, and doing it with, you know, samples and synthesizers rather than, you know, guitars and things, um, you know, it's like the uh, Little Fluffy Clouds. It's, it's one of my favourite electronic music tracks. Um, but, so it's got this sort of interview which plays over the top of it. <laughs> and the, the dialogue was... To, it's an American singer-songwriter called Ricky Lee Jones... And the, the urban myth is that it's Levar Burton of Star Trek The Next Generation who's doing the interview, but it's not. Um, and it was taken from a bonus uh, r- record that came with an album of hers that was just an interview. And the record company sued over the unauthorized use of the interview and uh, apparently she was happy with it but you know record companies and they eventually settled out of court but the rest of the stuff i mean it's like so the there's a lot of stuff from bbc radiophonic workshop sound effects records which it's something that might be hard to imagine in this day and age but you would get lps which were just filled with you know like the sound of birdsong or you know things like that and i think the idea was they they were all sound effects that had been done by the bbc radiophonic workshop that did all the sort of audio for uh, bbc productions and famously they did the doctor who theme music uh, but they put out these, these records of sound effects and I actually had some myself. And so that the last track on this album is called a huge, ever growing, pulsating brain that rules from the center of the ultra world. Yeah. And you think, well, that's clearly, you know, they came up with that, uh, um, on, on lots of drugs, but that's actually it's the title of a track off one of these Radiophonic Workshop sound effects records, oh. which was taken from a Blake 7 episode called Ultra World. So they basically just lifted that wholesale and then uh, used it for, for the basis. Um, how weird. And yeah, it's all these details, which I had no idea about at the time. And you, you do see how much of this is like stolen is not the right word, but. Borrowed. You know, borrowed um, and then pieced together into something else uh, and it, you know it's like the, the, the second track opens with dialogue which you might not have recognised which comes from the 1980s uh, Flash Gordon film
0: I just i what plaything can you offer me today an obscure body in the SK system your majesty the inhabitants refer to it as the
1: they they took a lot of samples and uh i don't think got clearance for any of them ahead of time yep and i think this was back in the day when you know it, it, it was a new thing this sampling uh and i think the there are websites that are devoted to working out exactly which samples uh in these songs come from where? And, uh, I think they're probably keenly followed or workingly followed by record company lawyers.
0: Do you still listen to this album quite frequently? Um,
1: I would say I probably haven't listened to it for quite a while. Um, it was, I definitely listened to electronic music, possibly stuff that's not quite as, um, psychedelic or whatever as this, but, uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I've got like, you know, uh, little fluffy clouds will pop up in playlists every now and again, uh, which I really like. And yeah, I mean, I sat down because I picked this, I listened to it. I, so I started out and I had like a short list of about 30 albums and, this was my initial pick and then I had 30 more and I was thinking about it. Should I do this? Should I not do this? Um, And, you know, I, I sort of listened to the album from beginning to end and I thought, yeah, no, I, I, I I do like this. And and this takes me back to, you know, early nineties and a particular time in my life. And then I sat down and thought, can I actually talk about this? in any sort of coherent way, uh, you know, because it's not like, you know, Oh, can you pick the, the three songs off this album that you really like? And it's like, well, it's not that kind of an album. No. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think for the best experience, I would say find two uninterrupted hours, put on a good pair of headphones, lie down, close your eyes and listen to this from beginning to end. Uh, and, You know, you'll either take it as a sort of meditative experience or whatever, or you'll listen to it and you'll think, this is not an album, I have been missold. This, uh, I want my money back.
0: How do you tend to listen to music? Do you listen to like uh, your entire collection on on shuffle? Do you choose specific albums to listen to? Do you create playlists that you listen to? Like, What is your standard uh, operating method for this?
1: Um, these days, like when I'm, when I'm working, what I'll usually do is I'll have a playlist on with a variety of artists, either one I've made myself or something that I found on Spotify or now Apple Music, um, and something that will run for like three, four hours. And I I will, I'm usually sat at my desk, you know, I'd, I'd love to be able to listen to podcasts because there's just so much podcast material being generated and if i could listen to that as i worked that would be great but i can't do it um i can do it if i'm drawing stuff which is interesting and i'm sure there's some neurological reason why
0: it's a different part of your brain i'm sure yeah
1: yeah but you know so if if i'm sitting you know uh designing some graphics or whatever or or even just you know user interface code uh or user interface but not code um then I, I might listen to spoken word stuff. But otherwise, I'll have some long playlist on. And I, what I like is something that I can put on and not have to, like, go back to the computer five minutes later and pick something else. Yeah. Uh,
0: so do you pick, like, ha- what are you picking in these scenarios? Are you saying, like, I want an electronic day, I want a and b day, like, or do you just pick something at random?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I should say um, that, you know, this. This, uh, genre doesn't represent the entire scope of my musical tastes. I do actually like normal pop music as well. Normal. I
0: like, I like the, you, you qualify that. <laughs> I like regular people music. Yes.
1: What do earth people call music? Um, no, I mean, I, I like a wide variety of things, but uh, you know, this is probably the, yeah electronic music is a very very wide and varied thing you know but that is probably the genre that i like the most uh and it 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 suits uh programming very well so there's there's an overlap there and you know sometimes i will put on if i if i'm some if i've got some music which i'm very familiar with i can put that on in the background because i'm not listening to the lyrics or anything and it, it works fine so you know just as a an example, like I had, like the greatest hits of Queen on the other day, you know, and it was just sort of, I know all those songs, uh, you know, from beginning to end, so I can put that on, and it's just background.
0: Why? Why do you think that is? That's interesting to me. Be- is it because the words you already know them, so they don't interrupt you?
1: I think the words. You've heard them so many times, they don't have any meaning anymore, and they just become part of the, the instruments of the album. So it's effectively an instrumental because you, it just doesn't, uh, figure. I mean, one of the things that I've done, done in the past is like, um, I had a period of listening to Japanese pop music because I couldn't understand a word of it. So it didn't, it doesn't trigger the, the language centers, you know, you, uh, and there's actually an awful lot of interesting j-pop stuff oh out there. some
0: of the music is incredible
1: again over a wide variety of things but um uh, there's uh there's a band i like called capsule and uh there's a sort of sort of spin-off of that it's the same producer who does the music so there's a popular band called perfume uh things like that uh and also you know the bollywood soundtracks are again another thing that you can listen to which uh I like the music, you know, it, it's fun and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't get in the way of actually uh, thinking.
0: So you would say that your, your music tastes are, are relatively varied then, really? Yeah. I
1: mean, I, like I said, when I started out, I listened to, you know, like lots of heavy metal. So, you know, I still have a fondness for that. Um, I think really the only music that I haven't been able to get into in any form. Is, uh, country and western and opera. And I respect opera, uh, but I just can't get into either of those. Um, and every, anything else is fair game. I mean, you know, I don't want to sound like, oh, well, you know, I, I am, I listen to all these things that you've never heard of, but you know, I, I will give anything a go. I find that very interesting with Apple Music. And I don't know why this didn't happen with Spotify, because I used to subscribe to Spotify as well. But, I mean, it's partly because of preparation for this podcast, but I've sort of, like, I was trying to listen to things that inspired this or were inspired by this. And the Apple Music catalogue is really, really wide. So, you know, like, as I said, that that dub album from the late 70s. And, you know, like, oh, yeah, they've got all that on there. Uh, So... It's really interesting. I mean, it's, it comes back to the, that record store experience I had of being able to listen to anything at all. And I think that's, it's an unusual thing. And it's, uh, I don't know how people approach that now. You know, if you've never listened to music before and you can listen to all of music, what, where do you start? What do you do
0: on that? Uh, On that vein, you've actually created a playlist, right, that that I'm going to put in the show notes on Apple Music of uh, music of this kind of style.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's um, music inspired by the podcast, if you will. You know, there's I think there's 36 tracks in it or fewer, depending on where you are in the world and which service you listen to it on. But it's a reasonably representative collection of electronic or sample oriented music that I've listened to over the years uh, in chronological order. Um, It's also an excellent way to cheat and include a bunch of other artists that I like, even though I was only allowed to pick one album.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because we did have to have that discussion, didn't we? Where you were like, I'm going to pick four. No, (laughs) James, let's talk about this. (laughs) But
1: have you listened to the playlist? No. Yeah, I didn't think you
0: would. No, I've I've subscribed to it, but uh, I really needed a long break after this album. (laughs) I was planning to listen to it again today. But I couldn't bring myself to do it. I I just didn't like it, and and I'm annoyed by it. Um, because I want to like it.
1: I think. Um, so the the playlist is in a way way more mainstream than than this, right? Uh, so I mean, it starts uh in the 70s with like Jean Michel Jarre and things like that, and then works through 80s and 90s pop. Um. And there's some experimental stuff towards the end, but I, I think it's not as, uh, it's not as, uh, off the wall as this. Right.
0: Yeah. Cause there is a bunch of stuff on that playlist that I recognize.
1: Yeah. Even if you, it took until you were halfway down until you
0: recognized it. <laughs> you did say in chronological order.
1: Yes. Um, but. I, th- I think, you know, I, I'm not saying you have to listen to the playlist before you listen to the album to understand where it all comes from. But, you know, the, the, the other thing is, you know, it's interesting putting together uh, a playlist like that and thinking back to what it was like to put together a mixtape. And, you know, back in the day when you actually had to start with a, a stack of vinyl records and a blank cassette. And then work it all out and then, you know, record it and make sure you're hitting record at the right time and, you know, and then write out the inlay by hand. You know, there, there was a lot of effort involved in it. And these days, you know, you can, you can make up a playlist fairly easily and it all, all that you're doing is you're just, you know, working out the songs you want and you can assemble it and you can change it and whatever. But. Going back and listening to these albums, you realize that in a way they were having to do the same kind of thing back then. You know, they had some samplers and synthesizers and stuff, but even going back to the um, early Pink Floyd things, they were doing everything manually with tapes and records. And, you know, there was so much more effort involved in producing something like that. And I think that also might be lost on people. You know, you listen to it and you think, "Well, oh, yeah, sure, they're they're playing some some sample at this point." And you think, "Well, no, there's probably somebody, you know, standing there with a record, uh, ready putting... to
0: press play." Yeah, <laughs> or put the needle on, even. Yes,
1: put the needle on. I was going to say that you clearly have never played a vinyl record in your life.
0: Uh Incorrect. But my my turntable has a play and pause button. Okay, fair enough. i do i own uh vinyl records i i have i have a large collection of music um from a very specific time in my life um Mm -hmm. for a couple of years i bought every single that i enjoyed so i have about three record boxes of singles, um, which are like a couple of years of music every week on a Monday. I used to go and buy all of the singles that I enjoyed. Um, and I also have a couple of boxes of albums, which I tend to buy anything that I really, really like. Um, I still today, maybe every couple of years, add maybe like another two or three albums to that collection. Um, And it's mainly just because I love them and I I do really enjoy listening to them in that method, but I don't do it very often.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I do wonder what uh, this is a common thought that I have about how all this stuff is going away and whether that's a I mean, yes, vinyl has come back to a certain degree, you know, that they're selling selling things for 20 quid uh, in the record shop around the corner but
0: yeah apparently like i i every year i feel like i see this story that vinyl sales are up
1: yeah but i think they're up like yeah they might have doubled but
0: yeah they're not they're not up on 1970 (laughs) yeah exactly
1: (laughs) um and you know most people the, the sort of physical having a physical collection of any media is starting to go away yeah and you know, ten years from now I think it's gonna be looked on like I look on at my father's collection of eight track cassettes. Um which was a another cassette format that didn't take off.
0: What formats do you own this album in? Um <laughs> that's an interesting question. I
1: have it on CD and I have it on tape, I believe. Uh I think I had a vinyl copy of it, but there was a, let's say, an incident that involved all my uh, records being sold to a record collector collector without my knowledge.
0: Ah. Uh. Ah. (laughs) 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 Yeah,
1: I, I didn't want to dwell too much on that, but basically, my father decided sometime earlier this year that he was going to have a clear out of all his records and, you know,
0: That also included yours. (laughs) Fair
1: enough. and Unfortunately, it included all of mine unknowingly. Uh, So all my vinyl went away. Some of it I got back, Um, mainly the the sort of heavy metal end of things. But there was some stuff that's just gone and all the singles went.
0: So So, you you actually don't know if you maybe had it or not? (laughs) There's no way of checking anymore. Yeah. Um, I...
1: I don't know, because I think at that point I was mainly listening to stuff on cassette, and I think it was slightly before CDs had become uh mainstream or affordable. I mean, certainly when I worked in Tower, uh most of the stuff that was on cassette, and I think CD was fairly new. So I think it's likely that it, I would have had it on cassette and on CD.
0: Okay, let me just take a quick break here to thank our friends over at Cards Against Humanity for helping support this week's episode of Inquisitive. As you know by now, there's nothing they love more than playing a few seconds of a 90s pop song and stopping it abruptly like this. My thanks again to Cars Against Humanity for sponsoring this week's episode and for getting that song stuck in my head. So one of the big parts of this show is the favourite tracks part. And a moment ago you mentioned that it's very difficult to pick favourite parts of the album because it is a whole thing in and of itself. But is it possible for you to, to give any kind of idea of parts of the album that you really like or parts of the album that you think really stick out?
1: Um, well, Little Fluffy Clouds, the first track, I think is the most accessible thing on it. And, and I really like that track and I heard it at the time. I think it made it into the singles charts to a certain degree, but not, not much. Uh, that's probably my favorite part of the album. Uh, after that, uh, Perpetual Dawn, which is the sort of dub style track, uh, on side three the ending that what would be the the last uh, side of the album which is the star six seven eight nine which uh you said you liked or didn't hate as much
0: no no i did like that one
1: And then, but that leads into the huge, ever-growing, pulsating brain that rules from the center of the ultra world.
0: I couldn't listen to all of that one. That's that's
1: probably my second favorite yeah. on the thing. There's uh, on the playlist. There's uh, there's a, a, an even longer version of that which I've included.
0: I, I I was able to get through most of it, but it was the one that I was like, can't do this anymore. <laughs> 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 Done. <laughs>
1: Well, as I say, there's an even longer version which you'll have to listen to now. Yeah, uh, of course. Um, I put that on as the last track of the playlist, the, the the longer one, just because I knew if I put it in the middle, I would lose half the audience. <laughs> that was the actually the earliest track they did, the the last one, and that was the one that came out as a single. Um, So that got played on, uh, the John Peel show, which is where I heard a lot of new music. And that might have been the place where I first heard it, but I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. Um, but that was that or Little Fluffy Clouds were the first introductions I had, had to this stuff. Uh, and those are the ones that I, I, I would recommend.
0: So you mentioned Peel. Um, favorite doesn't know John Peel was an incredible DJ on the BBC who, was very much influential in many people for many people's music tastes because he would find new music and play new music on the radio that was his thing and you listen to the peel show because that's where you find new good stuff and so many people um compare Zane Lowe to Peel for the same kind of reason um whilst not yet at least considered in, in, with, in the same regard zane yeah
1: i think it's hard to compare anybody to john Peel. yeah because of course john Peel would i mean this was this was on radio one which is like unthinkable that stuff would be played like this on radio one yeah i I mean the stuff that he played and he had such a wide uh interest in music and it wasn't like any one genre it was just anything he liked yeah and yeah i mean that that I think that sort of coincided with my um, general, you know, awakening into music was was it was listening to things like that and finding that there was so much more that wasn't played in the charts.
0: I think people compare Zayn to him because Zayn does a similar kind of thing, and he makes and breaks new new artists. Mm. And the reason that I bring this up is obviously this this style of discovery was extremely influential to you um, and the fact that you had people that could tell you in the record store the stuff to listen to and or you would listen to stuff on the radio like that that Peel would play and would get into it. Like, I think that that, I mean, this isn't a new conversation, but I think that this stuff had, had been lost, but I genuinely feel like a lot of it, is inside of Apple Music and I wonder what you think about that.
1: Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I mean, uh I've only been Apple using Apple Music since, you know, it came out. Just so a few um, weeks, basically. Yeah, which is a few weeks, yeah. Um but before that I used Spotify and I, I used kind of Spotify had uh playlists and things, but it, they tended to be more um you know, here's a playlist of the top forty tracks in the UK, or well, that's the stuff that w- would surface more easily. And Apple Music seems to be slightly better at showing
0: things. Um, I've had more music organically into my collection since I started using Apple Music than maybe in the last six months.
1: I've always had a thing where I've, like, I sort of, I'll create playlists and I'll listen to those playlists. And then, you know, for 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 a while and then I'll get bored with it and I'll say, right, I'm going to actively sit down and spend a day and try and find some new music. And some of that is like, you know, what artists do I like? Have they released anything new since the last time I looked? Um, but it's also like, well, you know, I like this stuff. Just tell me more things that are like this. And I think, yeah, Apple music will be useful for that. And it, it I'm, I'll, you know, just sort of the, the things where, you know, say, give me a playlist based on this track, which is not new. I mean, the genius stuff did that to a certain extent already. Um, but yeah, then I'll, I'll make a, I'll collect up, you know, like a, a big bunch of new stuff that might be interesting, add that to my, uh, library and then sift through it and see if anything actually is interesting off it.
0: If you've been listening to anything on Beats One because <laughs> that's that's where i'm finding some of the more interesting stuff and some of the newer stuff
1: i i i was scrambling to get a device ready for the the launch of beats one because i'm running crazy beta software and at the time like my phone couldn't uh do apple music so i had to dig out an old ipod touch and put iOS 8.4 on it. And I, I think the firmware install finished about 30 seconds before the Beats one started. And I listened to it for, you know, about an hour or something. And I thought, yeah, this is radio. I, I forgot. I don't actually like radio. And I don't know. It was, I think it's partially because there was tracks that I liked and then there were tracks that I didn't like, and I didn't have any control over it. You know, I couldn't say, no, I don't like this track. Just stop, you know, play me the next thing. Um, and I can see that kind of uh, structure to it is useful for some people. But for me, I just found it frustrating because it's like, okay, you found me something good, but You know, this thing that you found, I don't like it at all. Stop, stop that.
0: It's interesting because even though you came from the era when this was how kind of you listened to music, you know, it was just like whatever was played on the radio, if you listen to the radio. Uh, But now you're so used to the newer features that you're kind of like, screw this.
1: (laughs) Well, it's like um, 25 years later. And yeah, I mean, maybe I've got more impatient, but... I like the, I like the control of, you know, I'm, I'm happy for, you know, there to be a playlist that somebody else has created and said, you know, here is, here is what I consider to be, you know, like good music. Listen to this. And I'll, I'll give that a go. But if it's, if it's, uh.
0: You can get a bit of best of both worlds with it because they do create the playlists of the shows, yeah, right? Which yeah. Is good. No.
1: And, and that, and that's fine. But, you know, I don't like people talking over music and, you know, John Peel was probably, probably just as guilty of it if I go back and listen to it, but, um.
0: You're going to hate yourself when you hear this because you're going to be talking over the music. Whether you like <laughs> yeah. it or not. <laughs>
1: you're just going to, you know, cute. Well, it's fine. You know, it's going to be like spacey instrumental stuff with my voice over the top of it. It'll sound like an old album anyway. <laughs> it also means I can play more of it. Yeah. You can, you can just like queue up all the stuff and say, yeah, I, I really hate this song. And, <laughs> and just edit it so that it's like that. Um, but I, you know, I know that you're, you're probably hesitant, but I would say if you have time, give the playlist a go. And I mean, you can skip through the playlist and say, yeah, I like this, don't like this. But.
0: Oh, I subscribed to it for a reason. Like I intend to, to go through it.
1: You know? Because I, th- I think it's, it's gonna be more accessible. Um, I mean, he says more accessible. The second track on it is like the Doctor Who theme music, but.
0: I can totally get by with that.
1: Uh, well, so, I mean, if you want to talk about sort of pioneers in electronic music, the BBC Radiophonic Workshop guys were, were totally that. Um, I mean, back from the, the original version of the Doctor Who theme, but the, the one that's on it is specifically the 1980s Doctor Who music, because that's when I was watching Doctor Who, you know, or that's when I was aware of watching Doctor Who. And so that's the version that stuck in my head. But if you listen to it again, you know, it's like, it is clearly all sort of electronic music. And I actually saw the, the radiophonic workshop people play live recently. There was a thing at the BBC Scotland and the stage behind them was just like, you know how if you see, you know, let's say uh, Van Halen or somebody, and you've got like stacks of Marshall amplifiers behind them from floor to ceiling. Imagine that, but it was just banks and banks of synthesizers, you know. So it was like all 60s, 70s era synthesizers, analog stuff. And, and these guys who are all probably in their 60s, early 70s now, uh, playing, uh, what was from the, the soundtracks of TV shows at the time from the 60s and 70s, 80s. Um, and it was things like Doctor Who, Hitchhiker's Guide, which is where I, I knew that music from. And they finished the the set that they did with this sort of epic 15 minute long version of the Doctor Who theme music as if it was played by Pink Floyd at the height of their power. <laughs> and it, it was like absolutely amazing to hear it. And, uh, but those guys don't get any credit whatsoever and, no. and, and they should. And it was really good that afterwards they walked around with a, you know, the crowd. And I could, like, go up to the guy who did the instrumentation of the Doctor Who theme in the 1980s and shake his hand and say thank you very
0: much. Are you proud of this album choice?
1: <laughs> am I proud of it? Um In a way, I am perversely proud of picking something that you didn't like. And I'm also disappointed that you didn't like it. Yeah. But um I'm also proud of picking something that I don't think anyone, most people who listen to this will have heard of. Because I think they all while they had mainstream popularity in the UK, I don't think that really translated across the pond or anywhere else. So, you know, if people listen to this and listen to the playlist and get something new, like a whole area that they never heard anything of, then I, I will feel proud about it.